Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, it is Passion Week, the week that the Bible remembers as the events leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. And as you said on the show last week, Pastor Phil, that the Gospels, most of their... their um, ink is spilled on this week. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The saying used by many uh, New Testament scholars is, is that the Gospels, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are really extended passion narratives. That uh, the, the key uh, to understanding the person and work of Jesus is this last week of his earthly life. Um the lead, leading up to the cross and of course the empty tomb on on Easter and all all of the rest of the gospels are very important but it's really intended to help us understand first of all who is this who is this man called Jesus to help us understand that he is the son of god he's he's truly human and he's truly god and then why does he go to the cross and to help us understand the, the purpose of the Gospels is to help us understand that this was not an accident uh, that Jesus ended up on a cross. It was an intentional plan that had been in the heart of God from all eternity, and that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing every step of the way. In fact, you study the Passion narrative in all four Gospels, and you'll see that there's only one person who is continually in complete control of everything that he does. Every other character in the Passion accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every other character is being swept along by events that are outside of their control. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they're not even controlling their own actions. Mm -hmm. The only one who's completely in control is Jesus. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly what he's doing every step of the way. Mm -hmm. Well, last time we were together, we looked at the triumphal entry in in John's account, and in Luke's account of the same event, uh, it's immediately followed by Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So picking up in Luke 19, it says, uh, when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. We have a, an interesting account here. Um, Jesus has come into the city triumphantly. You know, he's, you know, people have said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And 
And the fact is, is that Jesus is in an emotional state here. He's not, he's, he's not an indifferent man. He's weeping over a lost people. He's weeping over judgment that's going to come and the disaster that he knows. We're really getting a picture of Jesus' heart for, for these individuals. He's, he's weeping because he's approaching his crucifixion. He's, he's not going to a reception. Hosanna seems like a reception. Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, but he he's, knows he's going to his execution. Mm-hmm. He, he knows while there's been cries of Hosanna, he knows that uh, he's, he's going to be you know, abused, suffer, and, and die. The, those words crucify him are going to come in this final in this final week, and so he knows that he's going to hear in Jerusalem people saying, "We have no king but Caesar," mm-hmm. and so there's all these things, and so he's weeping over them. And I think that uh, you know, of course, it's going to point to the judgment to come, but I think we need to get a picture of who Jesus is as he's um, weeping over this city, this lost city. Yeah. This is a, a wonderful uh, and very moving little window into the heart of Jesus and his love and his compassion for these people. Uh, these are the Jews. These are the people of God. These are the, these are the sons and daughters of the covenant. Uh, these are the people that God chose to be his special treasure uh, and that would be a light to the nations. And uh, Jesus knows, Jesus came into the city knowing that they would reject him, uh, and yet he weeps over them uh, because he knows, he knows the tragedy uh, that's coming. And by the way, part of this text is a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70 AD mm-hmm. uh, when Jesus uh, said that your, your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. That happened to Jerusalem in 70 AD, about 40 years, we don't know the exact chronology, but about 40 years later, the Romans would lay siege to the city of Jerusalem and destroy it. Yeah. I, I, I'm just struck by the, the kind of paradoxical nature of, of this passage because they're going to be judged precisely because God is, God is judging them. This isn't a, an accidental judgment. This isn't a circumstance of history. Mm-hmm. This is God saying, okay. Now I'm going to judge you as a nation. And yet God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, is weeping over it that at the mm-hmm. same time. Both things are true about Jesus. Kind of like the account where he raises Lazarus from the dead. He weeps. And um, all the while, he, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. I, I'm in shock uh, yeah. over, over the, 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 the true compassion and yet steadfast um, decree of God in this passage. Mm-hmm. One of the things that it does show is the patience of God with us, you know, that he doesn't send judgment immediately, but he, you know, he's constantly saying in one sense, in one way or another, now is the day of salvation. You know, he's inviting, there's an invitation in him coming to Jerusalem for them to turn to him. Yeah. You know, he knows that's not going to happen yeah. because he's God yeah. and man, Yeah. Um, but and he and he would and he's patient. He he's loving, and these things are instructive to us. He has every right to be upset over his rejection. Uh, yet he pauses in plain view of this city. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Yeah. That's essentially he's come to them, and and they've not received him. And uh, you know, I think that it also goes to our own you know understanding of 
we're going to be more like Christ. You know, how do we show that same kind of compassion, grief, and emotion, and heartache when uh, we recognize that those that we truly love have rejected uh, the only one that's going to save them? Yeah. Isn't there a verse in the Old Testament that says something along the lines of that judgment is God's strange work, his mysterious work? Mm. Uh, I think I've heard a Puritan say something like, mercy is God's uh, native work, but his judgment is his strange, mysterious work. And you kind of get that feeling here. Uh, the bowels of Jesus' heart are, are, are being drawn out at the same time over this, uh, this judgment that's about to happen. Yeah, and, and there is a terrible judgment coming, mm-hmm. the, the destruction of Jerusalem. But let's never lose sight of the basic fact of the gospel. Well, I should say one of the very, very basic facts of the gospel is that the wrath of God against sin fell on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Praise God and not on me mm-hmm. and and not on you, believer, uh, that he took my place. That that was his whole mission in coming into Jerusalem, that he would go to the cross and, and, the, and the, the righteous judgment of God uh, would fall on him. Which far exceeded anything that happened to Jerusalem. That, that's that's I right. I mean, he, he drank the whole cup of God's wrath down to the very dregs. Yes. And in one sense, this really is a tale of two judgments. Uh, either the Jesus that's coming into Jerusalem is the one that will take your judgment, or you'll be like the people in Jerusalem who get the judgment poured out upon you. Yeah, look at verse 42. Jesus says, when he, as he weeps over the city, he says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Now, in Jewish thinking, in, in Jesus' mind, peace is the Hebrew concept of shalom. It's the peace that comes from being in right relationship with God. It's not just the absence of conflict or, you know, happiness. Or it's, Shalom is, the, is that deep peace that comes from right relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is offering them, and that's what they can't see. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going to offer them on the cross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and by his resurrection, and then, and then the gospel that's going to be proclaimed after that, he's offering us uh, that, that peace. And so, so the question for us here, listener, and for myself, I'll ask the question, do you know the things that make for peace? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't turn away uh, from God's offer of the things that make for peace. Uh, and, and the only way to peace with God uh, is, to, is to bow to God's Son and to receive, uh, to receive Him as Savior and Lord. And that, that's the great truth of Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified mm-hmm. by faith, believing Christ, receiving him as he offers us, uh, offers himself to us in the gospel, when we do that, we have peace with God through our Lord mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. It's mm-hmm. only through the Prince of Peace that we can have peace. Well, you look like you have a lot to say there, Jonathan. <laughs> well, I, I really... Um, I. I can add to this, but you know, I think that uh, you know one of the things that we can add to this is the gripping understanding of what um, the rejection of Jesus is going to bring. I mean, this we we see in this passage uh, that he has um, prophesied the destruction of of uh, Jerusalem, and this 
this was one of those uh, one of the greatest um, destructions that took place. Uh, you know, the, it was a terrible instance. Instance: women killed and ate their own husbands through hungry hunger. They ate their own babies. They stu- stole food out of one another's mouths. The Roman so- soldiers, um, um, you know, waited. You know, they surrounded Jerusalem till they were famished, and then they slaughtered them by the thousands. The ones that survived would go to the Roman Colosseums and and die in in the Colosseums. Yeah, judgment was coming, and and the and so we see the heart of Jesus yeah. here. You know, what we need to recognize is how true the scriptures are, too. Yeah. I mean, this is something that mm-hmm. is being said, and it's going to happen. Um, there is nothing in God, no word of God that's going to fall to the ground. Mm-hmm. And so there's a solemnness to it, but also you see the patience and mercy of God, um, you know, that that he, he's waiting. Yeah, and, and there's a... Another prophecy coming that one day all will stand before the throne. The books will be open, and each one will yeah. be judged according to what's written in the books. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, yeah. you'll be cast to that same judgment. So turn oh, yeah. to Christ today. If well, you well and, and Jerusalem would get another opportunity on Pentecost after the resurrection. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Peter, you know, preached the gospel. Three thousand people came to faith. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time. 